you you got to know you got to know when to say when it's so important for athletes and that's the the biggest thing i stress when and it's just so ingrained in the culture to just be like never quit never surrender and it's like i i I have one line for everybody live to fight another day listen that same body that you're abusing today you're going to want to have when you're 50 60 70 years old years old and a lot of people don't want to think about when they're 50 and 60 but I know athletes that had, when they were young, they had, you know, three knee surgeries and stuff and they're 50 years old and they can barely squat. And you don't, you don't want to put yourself in that position. Like it's just, you know, I'm not saying, you know, don't be an athlete or anything, but just remember that you have one body and, it, and you want it to last you a long time. This is Ian Warner, 2012 Olympian and founder of Co. And you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Salm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Today, I'm excited to bring you Ian Warner, who's an Olympic sprinter for the Canadian national team. He's a former Iowa State Cyclone, founder and CEO of Co Labs, and author of the book Endure, An Athlete's Guide to Faith, Hope, and Success. Uh, Ian, I'm really excited to have you on the show. And I, let's start off by just talking about um, your book, uh, Endure, and what really inspired you to write it. Well, the, the first thing was I had such a rough kind of story rough go with the Olympics you know I I worked so hard to make the Olympic team I ended up making the team but I didn't actually get to run while I was there and that was such a disappointment and that was kind of put me into a little bit of a depression and it just made me think about all the ups and downs through my career and other people's careers and I felt like there needed to be something out there that athletes could read they could kind of refer to when they were going through a hard time and they could read stories of other athletes who were struggling and, and, and suffering and how they kind of bounced back and got through those hard times. For sure. And yeah, that must have been tough to you, you make the team, which is like an amazing feat in itself. But, you know, as a competitor that, you know, not actually running probably definitely was a, a dagger to your heart, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it was such a high low moment for me. Like it was like one of the happiest moments of my life so I was like riding super sky high and that's what made the fall so much worse um and dealing with it in the moment it was just so rough because obviously you know you dream of you know going to the Olympics and getting that opportunity and then it happens but then it doesn't play out the way you kind of pictured it in your head so it's like you kind of half accomplish what you wanted to do um but it was it was okay because you know when I look back on it in perspective I still had that opportunity and, you know, I still work for it and I still got all the things that come from, you know, working to be an athlete and all that stuff. And I appreciate that part of it. But while I was actually going through it, it was rough at the, at the time. Yeah. And, you know, after reading your book, it kind of reminds me of a, a part that I kind of related to a lot when you talk about um, the ego and how that can kind of play. But we'll, we'll save that for uh, a conversation a little later in our, our interview. Um so what can people find in the book? I know it, it has a lot of um, faith-based, uh, I guess, undertones, uh, which I found interesting because faith is something that I don't – I have a hard time kind of wrapping my head around the idea of faith, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's religious or whatever that might be. But a lot of elite-level athletes, 
you know, I've always, I always say on the podcast, I'm a huge Tim Tebow fan, and it always amazed me how much he kind of used faith or believed in in his faith uh, to kind of empower him to a- accomplish a lot of things. Um, so, you know, what can people find in this book? Yeah, well, the the, the biggest thing is you get to hear other athletes stories and it's an easy book to get through in terms of reading you don't have to necessarily read it from front to back or at least that was my intention uh you can jump in just to any athlete's story um and you know find a story that you really like or a person that you kind of want to hear their story and you can just kind of read through it um but then i also you know i started off with a bunch of stories some that i I made up some that were uh, real stories and my own story and stuff like that and just telling examples of what it means to endure and to to you know, hold on to your faith until you get to the success that you that you want to see in your life. Okay, so what what is your definition of endurance, and what does that mean to you, and how can that possibly apply? Because to athletes who are recovering from injuries, because that's a, a big audience of, of mine. So the first thing with endurance is being able to get to the finish line, get to the point where you want to get to and endure all the troubles or get through all the troubles to withstand those troubles, to not let them get you off track, to not quit because something got hard. That's what it means uh, to in, to endure. And when it comes to injury, there's, I would say for most athletes, injuries are usually the time when it makes you want to quit, uh, makes you want to kind of give up on the sport or um, makes you really question yourself, doubt your abilities. When you're constantly dealing with injury, you can't kind of get over it, and you're just struggling with that that mental battle. And to endure that injury means you don't let go. Like no matter how bad the injury is, you keep believing that it can get better and it will get better. And you continue training and doing everything that you possibly can to be the best athlete to, that that you can be. And um, you don't you just don't let go of the dream that you have of why you got started with the sport. Okay. Um, does faith have to look a certain way? Like how, how does it look to you? And does that look like, does that look the same with a lot of the other athletes that you, um, had write stories for your book? Cause it seems like, you know, they all come from very different backgrounds and it might look different from, for everyone. Yeah. And you know, the one thing I always say with faith, Kevin, is that everyone has faith in something. And the best example I can give for this is like when you're driving in your car and you pull up to a stoplight you have faith that when your section, when your light turns green, that the other side is, is red, right? Right. Because if both sides are green, then everyone's obviously someone's going to get into an accident, and uh, it just is like who you think is powering that 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 uh, is kind of where either God comes into it, or you know maybe you have your faith in you know the mechanic that made those lights, or or whatever the case is. But I think everyone places their faith somewhere, and um, for some people. It is, you know, there, there. Everything does come from God. For me, my, I, I place my faith in God, and I, I believe that, you know, He controls and has a plan for us. And, and, uh, I know everyone doesn't feel that way. And some people have faith in, in other things. And I think, uh, what faith really comes down to is it gives you something, I think, bigger and a, a bigger purpose to life. It adds a little bit more to your life just being just about you. And I think. For some people, anyways, it can make it a little bit easier to feel like they're a part of a bigger picture, a bigger plan um, that maybe they don't understand fully, but um, they know it's out there and there's something special that's for them. Yeah. Have you ever uh, read Tim Tebow's book, Shaken? I actually haven't. 
Um, just what, what you just said just reminded me of probably like what I got most out of that book, mm-hmm. um, which is basically like you can have faith or you can not have faith. And if you don't believe that there's like a greater story or a greater power that when things go bad, like an injury or something, instead of being like, you know, everything happens for a reason, I'm going to work through this, I'm going to get past this. And this is like all God's plan of trying to teach me, you know, something, whatever that might be. If you don't believe that, then it's just like, well, I got hurt. Life sucks. Uh, you know, why me? Whatever. You know, you're kind of, it's a more negative way to, to look at it. Yeah, and, and, it, and it can be. It's like, uh, you know, when, when negative things do hit, I, I do believe it can be easier to kind of fall into that slump like he's talking about. But also when positive things happen, and this is where sometimes you can get outside of your faith and athletes can fall into this trap as well. When positive things happen, instead of passing on the glory to other people and saying, you know, glory to God, glory to, you know, my coach and my parents and all these people who have helped me because everyone has had people help them get to the top. Instead, uh, you can start to, you know, take it on as it's all something that I did. And that's the other that's kind of the flip side of it is that I find that when people are successful in what they do and they don't have faith, it's a lot easier for them to just be like, hey, you know, this is because of me and, you know, because of my hard work and the things that I've done kind of leaving aside the fact that there's been a lot of people that have helped them to, to get where they are. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really great point that you made because it does work on the, the positive side as well. I didn't even really think about that until you just said it. Um, but I know like, like when I look back at myself as a young athlete, I was very ego driven and I, I kind of, I, I think I knew that the right thing to do was to, give glory to your coaches and you know pat your <laughs> lineman on the back when you when, yeah. when you got a good run and tell them all that but like I think deep down like I don't even know if I believe that I'm like I thought that I was I put in the hard work I I know I succeeded because of the work that I put in not you know whatever but it's kind of like an empty feeling I guess like look, looking back um but it's just interesting um have you always had strong faith yeah like I, I would say um when I was a kid, I, I, I don't really count it when I was a kid. Like I grew up, both, both my parents are, you know, Christians. and But I don't count it when you're a kid because you just kind of grow up with that. That's what your parents tell you. And you kind of just do what your parents tell you to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're kind of forced. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you are kind of forced in a sense. And I feel like that's not a true faith. Like, um, But I feel like once I started, once I got went away to college and I was out on my own, and you're, you're truly making your own decisions in life, you know, you – you you make your own mistakes. You there's no one really telling you what to do, what not to do. That's when you really start to find out like who you really are, and you kind of find yourself. And it was really through those years in in college that I felt like my faith really built up, and I really started to be like, hey, you know what? There is something out there. There's a greater power out there that's you know strengthening me and giving me the ability to do a lot of what I am doing. And there's a greater plan for myself, and I can always have faith in that. Okay, cool. Um... I know in your book, which will be in the, the Heads and Tails uh, bookstore, uh, which is headsandtails.org backslash bookstore, uh, for the listeners out there, there is one section called the nine stages of success. And um, I, I want to kind of, I didn't want to go through everything so the listeners can, you know, buy the book themselves and, and you know, take their own uh, little nuggets away from it. But some of my favorite parts were, um, you know, how often do you see athletes living out someone else's dream? You, you talked about the importance of dreaming in this section, and I was just curious, like, you know, how often you, you see that and if maybe you experience that. 
Yeah, the, the dream is tough because I think I want for well, first off, I think everyone has their own personal dream. And I think it's always connected to your your gifts, you know? Like I think people have a dream of, you know, singing because you have usually you have some type of gift uh to sing or whether it's producing music or you have something that you can do in that music industry that is a gift that you were given. But I think what happens sometimes is I think where I see this the most is with athletes in the sport that they want to play. You'll see, like, actually, the, the, the school I help coach at right now, there are these kids that play, they, they run cross country, but their dads used to wrestle. So they are, they're on the wrestling team and they absolutely hate it. But they just wrestle because basically they feel like to be in their family, they have to wrestle. I, I feel like it's those type of situations where you see someone who has a clear dream for what they want to do with their life and their parents are like, nope, this is what, this is what our vision is for your life. And I feel like that just never ends well and it ends up just building resentment. Um, and, and you even see this in some athletes. They don't even want to be athletes. They don't they want to do other things. And their parents are like, nope, you're going to you're going to be an athlete or, or you're going to play this sport or do these things. And then it kind of just follows through in everything they do, whether, you know, they want to uh, take a certain career. But their parents are like, nope. Uh, I want you to be a doctor, and I'm, I'm specifically just saying parents. It can happen with with any with with a lot of people, but I think parents have the most influence when it comes to that dream specifically. Right. And do you like do you ever say anything to those athletes, or do you feel like it's like not really your place to say like, eh, you might want to not wrestle or something like that? It's it's a tough it's a tough one. I, I would say you have to before you can jump in on a situation like that, you have to at least meet the parents and kind of start building a relationship with them, because you can put the athlete in a tough spot. If they're not, because they can end up saying, hey, going home and quitting and then saying, well, you know, this coach told me that I don't need to, to do what you say, you know, and it, it all depends on the wording that they use that can create a, a, an extremely sensitive, sticky situation. So I think it's just more like of building that relationship, building that trust and over time kind of warming up that situation until it's finally like, hey, you know what? You can have that conversation and the parents and the, the, the student athlete realize it's not coming from a malicious place or a judgmental place. It's truly coming from like a place of love. Okay. H- have you ever lived out someone else's dream? I think I've always been able to get myself back on track. So I think I've had moments and times where I kind of get caught in that, but then I'm able to shift back. And like for me, one of the tough things for myself was – that I, I have a brother who's three years older than me who also ran track, ran the same event, and we both made the Olympics together. And because he was a little bit older, a little bit faster, it was really easy to feel like I had to always follow his path. But as I got older, I realized, no, wait a minute, I don't have to do what he's doing. I can take my own route and create my own story, create my own name for myself. I'm just being just being who I am because I am a unique person. Right. So do you remember, like, the, the light that switched, like when that moment kind of happened, when you kind of were self-aware enough to realize that, you know, am I doing this because, you know, my brother's good at this? Or, I mean, obviously you are, you're good at it too, but, um, you know, what was kind of the, the trigger? I would say there was a couple and because, you know, you can always drift up back into it. But I think the first was in when I was in when I was in high school and he left um, and went to TCU. So. I was a sophomore and he was gone and it was like, it was just me at the school. So it was like, it was a chance to kind of build my own story, build my own legacy. And then when I was getting recruited, I didn't get as many big offers as he got. 
And uh, that was the second moment where at first I kind of felt bad for myself. And and I was like, wait a minute, you know, I would say it's a great school. There's nothing wrong with going like it's a big 12 school, the power five school, not a big deal. And um, I just was confident in that decision. And there was nothing wrong with doing that. And from, from that point on, I would say once I got I got to college and I was out on my own, it was a lot easier to uh, continue just walking my own path. OK, yeah, it was kind of like out of sight, out of mind a, a little bit, kind of yeah. made you think a little more. Cool. Um, have you ever done any like outside the box things like from I say outside the box, like, you know, we're talking about, you know, kind of blazing your own trail. Have you ever done like, I don't know, theater or join the, the school <laughs> choir or do stuff that's like, you know, not your typical athlete um, <laughs> activity? Um, actually, it's funny you say that because I. How I kind of got started with just entrepreneurship in general, I, I had a site called Cover Ground, which was all dedicated towards like helping athletes, helping athletes. That was the whole principle of it. And I started making funny videos on it. So like one thing, one video series I did, which is still on like uh, YouTube today, um, I made a I made a video series. It was like seven part, seven parts or eight parts called Dude, I Hate These Black Guys. <laughs> And what it was, I had a roommate. So I had two roommates in college. One of them was black. The other one was white. So we were just kind of telling the story of what it was like for a white guy to live with two black guys. And it was it was a completely joke. Like, we were all great friends. We're still good friends to this day. But we made this huge video series. And, like, it got so big in, in our in, at Iowa State that, like, our compliance had to talk to us about it. And, like, it was just it – was, it was a riot. But I would say that's probably one of the more out-of-the-box things I ever did in my life. And it got some, some pretty good laughs. Cool. And, like, did that experience kind of inspire you or encourage you to kind of go down that entrepreneurial path? Like, yeah, even before I got to that, I'd, I'd already kind of caught that entrepreneurial bug. But what that showed me is just how easy it is – not easy. That's not the right word. How – if you want to, you can make an impact in this world. And now is it's easier to do it um, because, you know, if you look back in history, there were so many gatekeepers, right? You had to get on, you had to get in the newspaper, get on radio. And now you can create your own audience. Like me and you are having this conversation because you've said, hey, you know what? I'm going to create my own platform. I'm going to create my own audience. And there's so much power in realizing that power. Uh, so once I kind of, I, I, I saw that you could do that, I never let go of that idea. Really cool. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's a cool time that we're living in today um, to really try to make a difference in the world oh, if that's what oh, you're sitting out to do. For sure. Um, just another uh, highlight that I, I, I saw when we're looking through the nine stages of success. Uh, can you explain your idea of rollover minutes and how they translate to injured and transitioning uh, athletes just I, I really resonated with that section I think the listeners might as well yeah so with <laughs> with roll with rollover minutes um, I think the 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 biggest thing is that I think it's really easy when you get injured to have the thought that's just like I put in all this work and it's all wasted. <laughs> Or like when anything goes bad in life, you just feel like you wasted everything. And I think, and and, and you know what, it, it resonated with you. I'm happy you said that because no one else has specifically said that part resonated with them. Um, but I think it's just important for people to know that the work you put in is never wasted. And it's just like 
roll over minutes with a cell phone. I, I remember specifically when they first started doing that. And it was like, wait a minute. So if I don't use my minutes, I'll get them again the next month. And it's like now most people have like unlimited talk. It's not even a big deal. So if you're young and you're listening to this, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> but um, there, there was a time when you had a certain amount of minutes. And if you and if you didn't use them, they would just disappear. So you basically had to talk as much as you could on the phone right up until that point if you wanted to get every dollar out of what you were paying for. But then when they introduced rollover minutes, you could not use them. Then the next month you have a little bit more. And it was it was pretty cool. And I think that same thing applies to what we do in life. If you are working your butt off to accomplish a certain goal and it does not work out that stuff will roll over and what i mean by that is during that time you develop a work ethic you learn how to be consistent you learn how to show up every single day whether you wanted to or not you learn how to be consistent there's so many good things that come from working your butt off to accomplish something that even if it doesn't work out it will roll over and one of the best things i i i, I heard i've ever heard about failing is that you will get more opportunities in life from trying to accomplish a big goal and failing than you will from not trying those things at all. And it's so true. I, I have gotten job opportunities from failed businesses. Just because people thought what I was doing, they're like, and, you know, that was really cool. Ian. like, you know, do you want to come do these, try and do these things for our company? And I failed. I completely failed. But they love the fact that I even tried in the first place. So I just always remind people of that the, 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 the work, the grind, it, the, those things, it doesn't just go to waste. It rolls over into things you do. And you might not notice it until five, ten years later, but you, you'll eventually uh, see that. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I just like the term of, I yeah, I'm old enough to know what rollover minutes are, but it's, it's <laughs> funny. Uh, I thought that was a good way to put it. Uh, so also in this section of success questions, you know, sometimes when you reach a goal, it's kind of like, all right, well, well, now what? So what moment in your athletic career are you most proud of? And then what was next for you after that? I think it was actually making that Olympic team. I would say that was, that was probably the big one. Um, and it was, it was really hard after doing that to figure out what to do next. Like even though I even though I didn't run it, would have been easy to say you know I have to I you know I can just train to make another Olympic team. I think it's why you always have to have a clear vision for what you want to want to do next. You always have to be thinking ahead, but you still got to find that gratitude to be thankful for where you are. So I think a good example of this is like for me, like schoolwork in college. Getting good grades in high school was really easy for me because I knew I wanted to get a scholarship. But then once I got the scholarship, it wasn't easy in college because I never had any plan to get a master's or do anything after that. So I just kind of was like, well, I don't really need good grades. Like I didn't really see a purpose for it. So it was hard for me to put in that same amount of effort I put in in high school. Um, but applying that to college athletics now, I think it's kind of the same thing. Like I, I made it there and then I quickly realized like, okay, you got to set some new really massive goals if you're going to get through this thing because – it's a lot more difficult and you, you got to see where you're going. So uh, there's, there's been a couple of moments. Um, but I, I would say if I had to choose the biggest, it would probably be the Olympics. Okay. So once you accomplish that goal, you know, well, you know, once it was over, you know, what was the next thing that you did? Like the first thing you started investing your time and your energy into after the Olympics, I would say it was finding a new driving motivator because so much of my drive, and this is where this is what was kind of weird, 
so much of my drive came from proving people wrong. Like people saying, you know, I couldn't get a scholarship. I couldn't make it to the next level. I couldn't be an All-American. I couldn't be an Olympian. And when you start knocking these things out, then it was like after that season, it was so, I had such a good season that year that most people kind of accepted that I was really good. And then after that, that drive was kind of like, okay, well, people think I'm good now. So like what, what, like what, like how do I, how do I kind of fuel my flame now? And it was, it just switched things in a kind of a weird way for me. So the next thing like, I, I did was just trying to figure out is what is this? What's the new driving motivator? What's the thing that I I got to do? I got to look towards and looking back on it now. And I didn't know this at the time, but that's why Jeff Bezos says like with Amazon that he always focuses on the customer instead of being number one, because once you're number one, then it's kind of like, what do you do next? But when, if you always focus on the customer, the customer is never happy and you always have something to do. And I think that's really important. Like, don't just focus on, you know, making a team or getting to a certain point. It has to be something very intrinsic. And that's actually about you bettering yourself because you can never stop doing that. Whereas if you focus on something that is very like finite, it's like as soon as you get it, it's like, OK, then you're, you're kind of just in a stuck position. Yeah, that was, that was a perfect answer. And I could. Yeah, if it's it, we have all these extrinsic motivators, once those extrinsic motivators are gone, like you said, when people start realizing, like, oh, he's not like the underdog anymore, like this guy's legit. So, you you, you didn't have that fuel, so you had to kind of look within because there's always something that you can improve. I like that. Um, all right, so let's move on to some of the the stuff that I I kind of got from the biblical stories that you had in. Uh, in your book and you did a great job of like really explaining it and I think some people including myself are kind of like intimidated by the thought of the Bible I don't know if it's because I, I guess I kind of view it as like trying to read like Shakespeare in high school and like <laughs> I feel like it's going to be in this like weird language that I'm not gonna be able to read yeah. uh, so it's, it's I don't know but you, you, you laid it out very well that uh, it was kind of easy to understand and wrap your mind around a lot of these concepts, but I just want to go through some of them that really uh, resonated with me. Um, so what comes to mind first when you hear, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good? The first thing that I always think of is is Martin Luther King and uh, how he talked about using love to to win, win over people and to you know, end racism and to stop hate in general. And I think this just applies to so many situations in life is the first when people are hateful towards us, our first reaction is to want to throw hate back because we think that's what's going to make it better. But it almost never does. When someone is sending bad vibes your way or they're, they're, they're being hateful and you do the opposite and you just show them love anyways, like they don't really know what to do. And it kind of just ends like because a lot of times people are doing things hatefully to get a reaction out of, out of you in the first place. So when they're not getting that reaction, it causes a lot of confusion for them. So they just kind of stop and move on. Uh, so that's what I think. I just think in general, the answer is just love. If you just bring love to everything that you do, and even if you are you know, criticizing someone, you can criticize someone in love, and you can criticize someone in a mean, nasty way, and people know the difference between those two things. Uh, and it's just bringing love to what you do. And I think that, uh, just brings a better light to the world in general. Yeah. I, I really like that. And I, I just think back to like, 
I think when I was reading this in your book, the first thing I thought of was when I was playing football in high school, there was this kid on one of the other teams, and he was giving me such a hard time, like <laughs> holding me and hitting me late and all this stuff. And I was getting so freaking fired up and to the point where, you know, I was going out of my way to like hit him. And, but he, yeah. he, he could he could obviously tell that I was annoying the crap. He was annoying the crap out of me. So yeah. I let him win because of the way I, that I reacted. But if I got up after the pile and say like, hey, man, like really good hit. Like you did. That was a really great job. Great play. Um, <laughs> he probably would have been like, uh, yeah, it, w- okay. it would have bothered him. Yeah, yeah. it would have bothered him because he would have been like, he's probably one of those people that's used to getting other people's skin like that. And it would have been weird to him. Like, why am I doing all these things? Why am I doing these cheap shots? Why am I putting in all this extra energy in this guy? And he's just not frazzled at all. And he's even playing a better game as the game goes on. Like, and it would have just got him more frustrated to the point where he either would have got out of his game and committed a, a really bad penalty and maybe got it kicked out or something, or he would have just stopped altogether. Right. And not to bring like politics into this, but, you know, when you think about terrorism or North Korean nuclear missiles, like it, it's all just a big like pissing contest of like who's the bigger, stronger, you know, person when, you know, I'm not saying to get, you know, send ISIS a care package, but, you know, I think they, they look for our reaction. They look for the world's reaction. And if they stop getting reactions, which is kind of hard to do with what, you know, what they do. It's just an interesting concept, I guess, to, well, to well, think about. Well, you know, Kevin, and, 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 and with that, it, it, the biggest thing you learn, you learn with, like, ISIS and even the, the last, uh, you know, U.S. election is that fear is a very powerful driver. And if, if people let fear control them, they don't necessarily make the best decisions. When people are afraid, they're not thinking logically a lot of times. And that's where when you put love into a situation it often stamps out fear but as soon as you make people very fearful of something that's going to happen you say this is going to happen this is going to happen if you don't do this this is going to happen then people start you know they scramble a little bit and they're not sure what to do and they make irrational decisions right yeah and you you touch on fear a lot throughout your book uh, which i i like because everyone has fear you know no matter what it is like physical fear mental fear making a decision you know whatever you can't get away from it. If you say you don't have fear, I don't think you're being very truthful. Um, but another thing that I saw in, in this biblical section um, was, you know, what role does patience and kind of connecting the dots looking backward, you know, play in the athlete transition and injury recovery for athletes? Oh, man. So the thing is with the patience is like, you just have to remember that everything in the moment, when it's bad, it seems like it lasts forever. And the good stuff feels like it just flies by, right? So I think when you get an injury, it will honestly feel like for like the ones that are like a really good injury, like where you actually have, actually have to have surgery and stuff like that, it will feel like these things last so long. But you just have to be patient because you don't necessarily understand the big picture on your, of your life and how it's going to come around to all make sense. So for me, for the injury app, it 100% makes sense because I would have never been able to make an injury app if I never had gone through some of the ridiculous injuries that I went through. If I didn't have all the surgeries and all the time missed and have to grind my way back over and over again, the frustration and the tears, I wouldn't care about the problem enough to, to do what I'm doing. 
I would just be like injuries. Who cares about injuries? Like my whole career, I was healthy. Like, why would I do anything to help people who are injured? Like it wouldn't matter to me. But because I went through that stuff and I was patient to endure those things, I didn't just quit. Now, when I look back, I'm like, ah, it makes so much sense. Now I understand. Right. And we're going to talk about uh, the Collabs uh, app a little later. Um, But another question I got for you is what advice do you have for helping athletes learn from their pain? And I'm guilty of this all the time. Like I'll get hurt and then I'll go back and do the same freaking thing that hurt me before. I just, I'm 27 now and I've eventually, I've finally learned, you know, from my mistakes, but it took me a long time to get there. And I, my body has suffered uh, because of it. So, you know, what's your advice for helping athletes learn from their pain? The best thing I can say is uh, Einstein's quote of insanity, which is if you that he says insanity is doing the exact same thing and expecting a different result. And when I I had a a therapist once say that to me and and once they said it, it made sense. I was like, you know what, if I keep hurting my back and I'm not doing anything different, I just try and rehab it the same way and I come back and I get the exact same result. Yeah, I get how that's insanity. Like. And a lot of times people approach these things with just like very hopeful thinking. And I think that's sometimes the problem with why people have an issue with faith in God. Like, because there's a difference. Like, I don't think God is responsible for making the the the, the everyday grind come come to life in the sense that like if you want to build an app, for example, he's not gonna build the app for you. He's going to show you tools online that can help you learn how to make an app or he's going to introduce you to someone at the right time that can help you build it, the right business partner or whatever the case is. But, you know, God doesn't make the desk. He gives you the wood and you have to be willing to experiment a little bit too. Like if you tried option A and it didn't work next time, try option B, see what happens, see what you learn from it. Then try option C, try some different routes and then learn from those different, from doing things a different way. And then eventually over years of doing these different experiments, you can pick up those lessons and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, you know, your, your faith is what's going to show you the opportunities and it's what's going to keep you focused on the end result that you can make it through. But that doesn't mean that you can just sit back and do nothing and expect that everything's just going to, to, to work out. Like that's not what, when I talk about faith and stuff like that, that's not what I ever mean. That it's just, oh, you know what? Just kick back, man. Put your feet up. God's going to make it all work for you. And all you got to do is sit down. No, I, I, I would never say that to anybody. You have to actively get off your butt and do something. Um, but it, it takes that focus on the end result. And it also takes um, being willing to try different things and experiment and learn from those mistakes that you make. Cool. Can you give us like an example of an injury that you went through that – you know, like you said, you're back, and then eventually you you made some adjustments along the way. You were able to overcome uh, overcome that. Can you give us an example of kind of that process for you? Yeah, the the most frustrating injury I had definitely was my my L four L five back injury. So, I out of high school, I started. Well, I would finish runs, and by the end of a season, my lower back, like you know, you have that little divot in your back, in the right in the middle of your back where your spine is. For me, my back would be completely flat because it was swollen so bad. And what was happening was my hips would get so tight. Um, there's a muscle called the psoas that attaches to your L4, L5 area and then attaches to your lower body. And it's the only muscle that crosses your waistline. And 
And when it gets tight, which for most people it is from sitting down, it basically puts a more curvature in your back because it's pulling your, your L4, L5 forward. So what was happening to me was I was having that tightness and over a season of my back being in a really poor position, eventually it would cause the those the the, the L4, L5 to, to fracture. So I first had this coming out of high school. I went into Iowa State with it and, you know, and it, it kind of ruined my last high school season. Then I went to Iowa State. I had to redshirt my indoor season. I ran outdoor season. I was the only freshman to make the final at big 12s and 100 but then i couldn't run the final because i had fractured it again i had to be in a wheelchair the rest of the weekend and all the way back to ames iowa and then my next year i was still having some issues with it but after that i finally was like hey i need to find the right therapist i found the right person to help me i and it was and the funny thing is about injuries it's always the little things that end up fixing it and basically what the whole problem was that was causing the issues is that I had to get my glutes stronger and I had to teach myself proper firing patterns. So what it actually, what's supposed to happen when you run is your glutes are supposed to fire first, then your hamstrings, then your back. But a lot of people, it's really like their back fires first, their hamstrings, then their glutes. And the glutes are big, powerful muscles, but they shut off when you sit down. So I learned how to get them firing again. I got them strong. I started doing a lot of barbell glute bridges, a lot of different things in the weight room. And I never to this day ever had that problem, never had that pain ever again. Never. Because I know if, if my back ever hurts at all, I always know it's tight, tight hips, tight psoas. There's a certain stretch I do. And then I work on those glutes and getting them firing and I'm, I'm good to go. Uh, so it was a really simple fix. When I look back on it, it was so easy. But I think you get so frustrated by the injury that you're looking for a, some complicated, crazy solution in order to get yourself better when really it's just right. It's sitting right in front of you. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's a, a great way to look at it. Yeah. You, you learn from your experience. You, you continue to do it. I'm sure it made you a little faster along the way as well. Right. Oh yeah, man. Like the, the thing about it is to a lot of people underestimate with injury is that most athletes overtrain anyway. And that's what really results and in, in creates these injuries that your body's like, listen, you're doing way too much. So something's going to break down in order to make you rest. And a lot of times what you feel like is that that rest is you getting behind. But honestly, sometimes that rest is exactly what you need to be to be fresh, to go out there and compete your best and stop overtraining so that you can actually be sharp when you when, when it's time to compete. Yeah, it's a tough mindset to take on, but it definitely – is, is definitely necessary for athletes. I know like myself who, who are always under the impression that more is better. And yes. I, I've learned that it's definitely not the case. <laughs> not the case. Like, you know, more, more can be better to a point, but eventually, um, you know, like, you know, I, I had a coach one time that said to me as, as I was starting to squat heavier and heavier, he was like, you know, Ian, if you squat 500 pounds, 600 pounds, 700 pounds, 800 pounds, like when's enough enough. And it's just kind of like, you have to have, uh, to approach everything in life like that. It's the same thing with money, right? Like you make 10 million, you want to make 20, you make 20, you want to make a hundred, you make a hundred. Like at some point you have to say, Hey, you know what? I want to, I want to make a different impact with my life. And I don't think there's anything wrong with making like, you know, a hundred million dollars or anything like that. But it's like, you, you can't just chase that number because it's just always going to go, 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 go. And you eventually have to be like, Hey, you know what? This is a good point to work with from here. Um, and work on some other areas that, that you may be weak at or, um, find some other place you can make improvements. I like that. I know like myself as an athlete, like my athletic career competitive ended when I was in high school because I, you know, didn't know when to 
tap out because of my head was hurting me. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, later on I got into CrossFit cause that was kind of my new competitive ish outlet. And then I just didn't know when to stop. It's like with the squatting heavy twice a week and heavy, mm-hmm. you know, squat cleans and this and that. And eventually my knee, you know, burnt out to the point where now I can't do any of that stuff. So, yeah, you, you gotta know, you gotta know when to say when it, it's so important for athletes. And that's the, the biggest thing I stress when, and it's just so ingrained in the culture to just be like, never quit, never surrender. Right. And it's like, I, I, I have one line for everybody. Live to fight another day. Listen, you, that same body that you're abusing today, you're going to want to have when you're 50, 60, 70 years old, years old. And a lot of people don't want to think about when they're 50 and 60. But I know athletes that had when they were young, they had, you know, three knee surgeries and stuff and they're 50 years old and they can barely squat. And you don't you don't want to put yourself in that position like it's just. You know, I'm not saying you know, don't be an athlete or anything, but just remember that you have one body and it, and you want it to last you a long time. I say that often as well. We're, we're on the same page with that one, Ian. Uh, speaking of what what we we're just talking about, you know, what are and we talked about this earlier a little bit as well. Are what are ego and pride's place in athletics, and how can we alter our mindset to be able to live to fight another day? Ooh, yeah, ego and ego and pride are tough, man, because. <laughs> obviously it would be pretty much impossible this to say that there's that to be a really great athlete you can't you can do it without having an ego pretty much every you know no matter how good someone is on interviews or whatever the case is if you are a good athlete a big part of being good at sports is actually not just talent or work work ethic it's confidence in yourself and that confidence can start to develop an ego and that ego can turn into a massive ego and that Massive ego can just get bigger and bigger and bigger, just really grow out of control. So you look at an athlete like Tiger Woods, that's what really happened to him. Like you, he's a super confident athlete, and then you just start to feel like you can do whatever you want. So then next thing you know, he has all these girls all over the place, and the ego just gets out of control, and eventually, you know, it it, it ends up being the thing that 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 brings you down. Um, just a, a funny story on ego. I was uh, listening to this thing on Charles Barkley. And um, no, I was reading about this in, in a book called Relentless. And uh, Charles Barkley had gotten to this fight in a club and he ended up throwing a guy out of a window. And the judge, he, he was found not guilty. And after the judge asked him what he had learned from the whole ordeal, and he said, I should have dropped the guy through, through from the second floor. <laughs> what <laughs> yeah and that but that that just shows you like the ego like that that was what his answer was and it's like like when you're at the top of your game like you really just feel like you can just do anything like your confidence is riding that high um so i think that is good you got to be confident but the, the negative side to having that neg that that ego and that pride is that you won't ask for help you won't get help when you need it everybody needs help um even like um, michael phelps just came out the other day saying that when he was at his peak competitive level you know killing it and, you know, winning all those medals and stuff like that. He was depressed and, and thought about killing himself and committing suicide, you know, and that's just crazy, you know, but obviously, you know, his, his pride is to a place now where he could admit that and get the help that he needed or he got the help he needed at that point. Um, and I think, you know, the flip side of ego is it can just, your life can just get out of control because you feel like you're untouchable, but no one's untouchable. Everybody can be brought down. Everyone can be hurt. Everyone can be humbled. Was there ever a time when your ego kind of got out of check and like how were you able to kind of address it and notice that something that the ego was like kind of overpowering your decisions maybe uh, negatively 
and how'd you kind of take a step back and kind of alter your mindset? Yeah, uh, for me, I was actually lucky in the sense that it happened to me younger than it happens to most people. It happened to me when I was in high school. My last year of high school was just reckless. Like I, you know, I smoked weed for the first time. I started drinking, and like I, I wasn't, I wasn't like an alcoholic or anything, but I just like casual drinking for a high school kid. And I, and I, I'd already signed to go to Iowa State. I just felt like I, I was winning races. I felt like I can do anything, you know, and. Um, but yeah, it quickly crashed and burned. Like I had a party at my parents' house that went horrible and someone ended up punching a hole in my wall. And like, it, it was just, my whole life just got crazy. And I saw it in, you know, the way I, I treated girls and just everything that was happening around me. It, I just didn't like the person I was becoming. And when I looked in the mirror, I was like, I don't want to be that person. And I had it, I felt like I had a second chance in the sense that because I was going off to Iowa state, I didn't know anybody there. I was going to a completely new place. It was a completely brand new fresh start and i got to just completely remake myself in which is what i wanted to be and who i really was at, at heart you know okay uh yeah it's interesting where you have that kind of realization you look at yourself in the mirror you're like yeah i don't want to be this this person anymore no um so speaking of not wanting to be a person anymore uh what are your thoughts on the athlete identity and how have you been affected by it throughout your athletic career uh, so uh, the the thing is that's tough is you know you spend all these years you you work and work and work and become these athletes and it's even worse now I think because now you have social media that really brands you as that athlete like I didn't have as much social media in high school like Facebook was just like I, I, we're the same age so it's like just by the end of high school Facebook was okay. starting to yeah starting to really get become a thing but now it's like you have Twitter you have Instagram everything's blown up and you brand yourself as this athlete for all these years and then all of a sudden one day it's over and you have nothing to kind of hold on to as, as being the thing people know you as. I was lucky in the sense that when I was in college, I for, that was when I got into entrepreneurship and all through college, all all five years I was at Iowa State, I was working on, on different businesses, working on different things and learning different things in entrepreneurship. So most people knew I ran track, but even when I made the Olympic team, I had a clothing line. I had other things going on. So people also knew, oh, yeah, like he's an entrepreneur. He, he loves business. He does those things. So I, and then even once I was done, and that was I, I wrote the book uh, when I was running post-collegiate track and field. And I, you know, I put – all my energy into trying to be as good as I could, as good as I could, as as good of an athlete as I could possibly be. But at the same time, I knew that where my future really was, was in entrepreneurship. And that's something I could actually do until the day I die. Whereas being a high level athlete is not something you can do until the day you die. And athletes need to realize that early on, that Yes, be an athlete. It's great. It develops a lot of great traits, but this is not some. This is not your your end all and be all. It's not like this is just a small part of what you do. Um, but I've seen, you know, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of friends get caught in, you know, whether suicide, depression uh, issues just from having to give up the athlete life, and it, it really is uh, a sad state that we're kind of in right now. Yeah, and I, I mean, I I have a background with like head trauma and stuff like that just because of my own concussion issues and I, I don't mean to be insensitive when I say this but I feel like a lot of the stuff with CTE and a lot of these guys who are you know committing suicide 
I think I'm not saying that CTE isn't a real thing and it isn't a degenerative brain disease and doesn't have an impact on your thoughts, but I feel like a lot of the problems come from the athlete identity more than anything. I think people don't address that. I think they they kind of potentially use CTE as like a a a, a band aid to kind of be like, oh well, this is like what it what it was when. I mean, I don't think anyone really knows if that's true yet. Um, yeah, no, I, I, and the the thing about it is with CTE is like, okay, well, like, you know, I had a friend who I grew up running track and field with, and he didn't play any other sports. All he did was run track. And after he was done college and he retired from the sport, he ended up committing suicide. So it's like, like you know, you can't really use CTE for that because track's not a contact sport. So I, I, I definitely understand where you're coming from on that. Like, I don't know enough in depth about it to say either way but i do definitely agree with you in the fact that even if ct is a problem and that is causing some of them you definitely know that the athlete identity is not making it any easier right um i'm glad someone agrees with me <laughs> so i based off what you, you were saying it, i think it's important to for athletes to have kind of a little passion project or something outside of their sport. And that's something that I definitely didn't have uh, when I was an athlete. And I think that largely influenced the severity of how bad I struggled, you know, trying to find that new identity because all I ever thought was that I was a football player. So do you think that athletes can reach the highest levels of athletics like you have reached um, and still have a well-balanced sense of identity? Yeah, I, I think it only works, though, if you start working on that thing early enough. So I think what a lot of athletes do is they wait till the very, very, very end. Like, they wait until they pretty much know for sure they're not going to get another shot. And, like, I, I see this all the time with, like, pro football players. Like, just because football is where I know the most athletes. And they'll wait until, th like, they've been cut and they you know they they're trying to get on a team and then they're realizing okay you know maybe i'm not going to get on another team and then they want to start diving into something else and it's like it's too late like you're not going to learn to be a world-class developer so and the reason why you have to start working earlier is because you need years to just like anything you have to, it takes time right it, it, you can't just go from working you know at being an athlete for 15 years and then work on entrepreneurship or work to be a developer or work on your art uh for you know a year or two months and then expected for that to replace all those years you put into being an athlete it doesn't work that way it's like you have to spend a good amount of time working at it working at it getting comfortable with it failing a little bit while you're still an athlete so that when finally those athletic years are done it's a it feels like a smooth transition because you've been working at it so long you already have that same level of passion for it all right yeah i think that's it's great advice and like you said, yeah, the sport's not going to last unless you're Tom Brady. You, you know, he might play until he's dead. But every, <laughs> for everyone else, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's going to end at some point. So you got to start putting in the the sweat equity, you know, while you're sweating on the field. There we go. Uh, so let's move on to uh, your work with Co Labs, and we kind of talked about your bet your struggles with back injuries throughout your athletic career. Uh, but were there any other injuries that kind of kept you? you know, off the track for a, a good amount of time? Well, the first injury I actually had was actually a football injury. I, I, when I was 12, I had a spiral fracture in my tibia. 
So I, for those who don't know, a spiral fracture would be like if you grab a tree branch and twist it, it like splinters. Um, and that's what happened to my leg. Like someone grabbed my lower leg and rolled with it, and somebody else was holding my upper body. It was just brutal. So that I had terrible. Yeah, it was it was terrible, <laughs> and I had two surgeries on that because it cracked right through my growth plate. It was just it was a horrible injury, and. Then after that, uh, I had you know a bunch of I had tons of concussions, ankle rolls from playing football. Then once high school was done, um, I stopped. No, my junior year I stopped playing football, and then I had a groin injury from track. I pulled my hamstring twice. I had all those back issues, and then I had um, some uh, toe bunion issues um, just from so many years running in spikes and things like that. So I, I've had yeah, quite the the little list of you know, big and big and small injuries. So to what, deal with. what went into your decision to stop playing football? I stopped playing football because one, I knew I had a better future in track and also because the hits were just starting to get hard. Like I'm not, I'm not a huge guy. I've never been really big. I'm like, I'm only five, eight. And like in high school, I was probably like 140 pounds. Like I was never big, but I was, obviously I was fast. So that's what I kind of used to my advantage. But I eventually started getting some hits that were like, whoa. And this is before, you know, this is pre-CT or, you know, all the attention they give to that stuff now. I just thought, like, like the hits were really starting to be painful. And I, I couldn't imagine what they feel like at college, in the college level or, or even, like, NFL and stuff like that. So I was like, you know what? I, I got to know when, you know, my when it's my time. And that was my time to be done. Yeah, and we agree. Yeah, we're obviously the same age. And, like, yeah, people are just starting to talk about concussions, like, when I suffer my brain injury. Um, so yeah, I, you, you were ahead of the curve on knowing what was good for you. Yeah. Um, so what did you struggle with most during these times of being injured? The biggest thing was just being able to get guidance and answers. Like I, w I was fortunate when growing up in Toronto that I had some pretty good therapists I had seen and that taught me a lot about injuries and how to recover from them. And, you know, one of them was a chiropractor. The other one, the other one was a massage therapist, but he had traveled with some Olympians and worked with NFL players and stuff like that. So I, I, was, I was fortunate to know these guys. But then I went to college, which I thought the, the medical staff would be better. And it was actually way worse than what I was used to. And they just didn't really have answers for a lot of stuff. Like it was just kind of like put ice on it and suck it up. That's what it felt like a lot. And there was just tons of injured athletes. And it was just, when I would talk with athletes at other schools, it was just, I, I realized how widespread the problem was with injury. So a lot of times it was just mentally getting out of that kind of funk, that depression that you get in. And then physically uh, it was like, okay, like, what do I actually do next? Like, if the person who's responsible for helping me isn't really helping me, then what do I do? Right, you got to figure it out yourself, I guess. Yeah, exactly. And and the one thing I always say to athletes is that no matter how good of a doctor you have or how good of people you see, no one's going to care about your body like you care about your body. Period. Like, no, like, like you know, no one's going to care about Kevin, for you, no one's going to care about your head as much as you care about it. You know, even like your parents obviously care about you and stuff like that or, you know, family or whoever else. They care about you, but they don't care about you as much as you care about you because you're the one who's going to be in the pain, you know? Like, um, so I, I just always remind people of that because sometimes people put so much in other people's hands. and like, well, no, this person – you know, my coach said to do this, so I'm just going to listen to my coach. But I'm like, hey, like your coach isn't going to be the one who has to walk on a crippled knee for the rest of their life. It's you. 
It's a great point. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier, and you know, I'm 27, but looking back, I wish that I had thought things through a little more than I I did. You know, because I I have quite the extensive medical history just because I kind of had that mentality of like wanting to do well by others and kind of cared more about what they thought of me than anything else. Um, all right. So, you know, what do you do to prioritize your health today and keep your body injury free? Cause are you still competing in track or have you? No, no, no. I'm, I'm done with track now. So I, I stopped running in 2015 and I've been mostly focused entrepreneurship wise since then. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so, but to, to take care of your body today, the, the biggest thing is understanding where your kind of trigger points are, where your hotspots are, uh, in terms of like, no one gets hurt everywhere, but like everyone has based off the activities they do places they're susceptible to injury. So for me, it's hip tightness, glute issues, hamstring issues, uh, shin splints are another one I, I kind of dealt with a lot. Um, some foot problems in there. Um, so once you know what your, your issues are, there's ways to go about doing different things, whether it's, you know, foam rolling daily, stretching daily, yoga, uh, you know, getting myofascial balls that you lie on and stuff like that. There's ways that you can maintain your body um, on a day-to-day basis. And then the second thing is you want to have a team of a, a, a medical staff team that you go to for different things. And why I say a team is, you know, you want to have a massage therapist, you want to know a physio or physical therapist, a chiropractor, an acupuncturist. And the reason why you want all these things is because they all can help you in very different ways. And people tend to develop expertise with certain injuries. So my wife, for example, she's an athletic trainer, but she, and and a massage therapist, but she has done a lot of track and field stuff. So she's really good with lower body stuff lower body injuries, but she's not as good. Like if you got a shoulder problem, she's not as good with those type of things. So the team you have, you don't have to see them every week, but you kind of rotate. So it's like, if you, if you, if you do see a therapist at once a week, then you see the massage therapist this week. And the next week you go and see the physio and the next, the week after that, you see somebody else. Or if you go, if you go once a month, whatever you need, but you do need to get help from outside people because they have a different perspective but and that's what they're trained to do. They're they're trained to help people, people's bodies feel better. And I just I just think as a society in general, we, especially here in, in the states, we rely too much on uh, the healthcare system that's more set up to deal with things once they've already gone wrong instead of being preventative and attacking the issues before they become really bad. And that's where I try and encourage athletes the most. Don't waste until you pull your hamstring. When you feel that your hamstring is bothering you a little bit, that's when you need to take action and get the help that you need so that it doesn't become a pulled hamstring that you have to sit out for five to six weeks for. Yeah, I was actually going to say that exact same thing. I'm like, I I used to be in the camp, and I know a lot of athletes are in the camp of you'll fix it when it's broken kind of thing. But yep. if you have that mentality, you're going to be broke to a point where you, you're, there's no coming back. So Exactly. You got to stay And, on. and it's, it's way more frustrating that way. It's not worth it. Deal with it while it's still a, a minor issue. Deal with things as minor issues, and they'll never become major issues. But if you wait until they're major issues, you're going to be sitting out a long time. Yeah, and if you grew up in the camp of like I'm, – I'm talking about a lot of camps today, but – 
if you, if you <laughs> grew up with like the people telling you, you know, suck it up and all that, like you, you, you're taught to brush those little things aside. But what people fail to realize is like those little things turn into huge things if you don't address them uh, immediately. Um, so uh, before we get away from your own injury history, I just want to, I really liked how you approached injuries that popped up on your way to qualifying for the Canadian Olympic team. So can you just explain, you know, when an injury popped up during this time, like how did you address it? And it's kind of some along the lines of what we just talked about. Yeah. So I, uh, I get to the Olympic trials, I run the heat and my, I was having some hamstring tendon issues. So right down by the knee, uh, it was really starting to hurt. Uh, and I, I'd been proactive about it. I'd been doing everything I can to kind of deal with it. But what ended up happening actually was uh, one of the favorites to win. I heard him complaining about his injury and saying, like, uh, you know, like, my, like something's really hurting me. Like, I, I think it actually was his hamstring. Actually, when I think about it, he's like, you know, my hamstring's really hurting me. Uh, and and he was he had gotten so much, like, treatment and was so used to kind of getting – whatever he needed to be healthy, that he kind of lost that self, that ability to take care of things himself. And I think you still need to have that as, as well. Like I'm not all for just 100% get somebody else to deal with it. You need to have the balance of, you need to take care of your body because like I said before, it's your own body, you need to care for it. But then just get someone else to help you every now and then for perspective and to show you things that maybe you never thought about. So he's complaining about this injury and immediately it gave me so much confidence because I could just tell by how he was complaining about it that he wasn't mentally strong enough to get through this race. And I also want to make a huge distinction here. If this would have been the first race of the season, I would not have run through the race. I would have I would have said, hey, you know what? Let me sit out this race. Let me get let me get some treatment. But this is the Olympic trials, you know, like this only comes once every four years. Right. And I was in I was I was having a great season, like I was in a great position. So I wasn't pulling out of this race. So I heard him complaining about it. So I immediately locked into, you know what? You got this. Tough it out. Don't even complain about this injury. Just handle this race. Be tough. Don't even go get treatment from this guy because I was in line behind him. That's how I heard him talking about it because I was in line behind him to get to get treatment from one of the therapists that was there. And I heard him complaining about it. And I was like, nope. As I said, tough it out, deal with it after the race. And yeah, and I, I ended up running the fastest I ever ran in my life at that race. Wow. And, um yeah and i i remember laughing about it with my dad after because i I really was pretty worried about it and i was even texting my wife she wasn't there and i was texting her back in iowa just like ah man i don't know about my hamstring i don't know i don't know if i'm gonna make it and that one thing i don't know it just it just immediately i i guess it gave me the perspective of hearing someone what they sounded like complaining about their injury and i was like man this is the olympic trials man suck it up let's go and that was one time i did did do that and I, and it was worth it for that moment but i you can't be that way week in week out for for a whole season like it's it's not going to end well and that gave me a little bit of a buffer time i made the team where i could be like okay let me get my treatment and after that i was fine i was able to get it i'm healthy for the season and, and the, the rest of the races i had to run but um yeah, yeah. I, I love that you said that because you know i i obviously almost died playing football because of i didn't take care of myself and i i don't regret playing football and I don't tell anyone to not play football, but I just say to like, be smart about it. Like I was a guy who would try to run everyone over and be a freaking meathead all the time. Mm -hmm. And I, I, 
what I tell people now is like there's a time and a place to do that. Like if it's fourth and goal and you need to score a touchdown, like yeah, then freaking lower your shoulder and get in the end zone. But like don't do it when it's like first and ten and you're on like your own thirty yard line and it's the first quarter. Like save yourself. Like that goes back to trying to live to fight another day. Yes, and and with football, it's even simple cases where it's like just run out of bounds. Like there's so many times I see athletes. They go in for another hit. I'm like, why? Just go out of bounds. Exactly. Take, take one less hit. If you can take 10 less hits every single game because you ran out of bounds, multiply that by 10 games in a season. Multiply that by a 20-year career, you know? Right. And you know, how many, you know how many less hits you just took because you were able to drop your ego and just take a step out of bounds? Like, I, It's those little things that you don't realize how they add up so much over time. Yeah, and you hit the nail on the head, freaking drop the freaking ego, and you won't even think twice about it. The, the sideline's your friend. So. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right, so you know, t- tell us a little bit about uh, CoLabs and how that kind of came about and how athletes can use that as a, a tool. So I, I first had the idea when I was in college. I was like, you know, going through all these injuries, I was seeing all the other people that were injured and just all the frustration. I was like, there needs to be a resource for people to go to and get help. I didn't know what it would look like at all. And at this point, you're talking 2008. This isn't like, you know, I had a Blackberry at this point. So we're not, it's not like there's the whole app store and all that stuff. I just said, I just realized there needed to be that resource. So years went by. I honestly figured somebody else would do it. Nobody did it. I end up retiring and uh, Instagram's out now and I created an Instagram account and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to post things that I did to stay healthy and just to help other athletes out. I always enjoyed, that's always been a, a big mission in my life to help other athletes. So start posting this stuff. Next thing you know, I start getting DMs from athletes. They're asking me injury questions. Yeah, what do I do for this? What do I do for that? And I'm telling every athlete the same thing. I'm like, hey, I'm not a doctor. Hey, I'm not a doctor. Hey, I'm not a doctor. And I'm like, hey, you know what? Like, and a lot of them didn't care. They're like, hey, it doesn't really matter to me. You're a doctor. You just look like you have the answers and the stuff you're posting looks really good. So I was like, well, if I were you, I would try this and this and this. They'd come back to me and they'd be like, wow, I feel a lot better. And I was like, well, that's weird. Okay. <laughs> and I realized over the years, I actually just – I because the, the unique advantage I have is that I paid attention. I studied a lot of the human body like how – uh, an athletic trainer would or a chiropractor would or, or whatever to some extent not not as deeply as they do but I still I have a lot of books that they have but I also understand the feeling of what these things actually feel like to be hurt and to go through a rehab and all that stuff and that's what a lot of therapists doctors don't have so I started giving that information and whatever and uh, you know a lot of athletes I was helping people so I was feeling good about that but when it really hit me I had a uh, a guy from India, he sent me this direct message and he attached to it an x-ray of his back. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. I'm like, why are you sending an x-ray? Because to me, if you have an x-ray, that means you've already seen a doctor, right? So I asked him, like, why are you sending me this when you've already seen a doctor? And he rep- responded. He said, hey, I just want to get a second opinion. And I was like, ah, you know what? This is this is I'm, we're, we're on to something here. And I realized that if you start the conversation by letting an athlete ask the question, you can get their location. You can get what they're going through, some of their injury history. Uh, you can get their sport age and then you can put them in touch with the correct resources, whether it is as simple as a foam roller or it's an actual, you know, massage therapist, chiropractor or whatever to be able to uh, answer their question and provide them with a, a solution and direction of where to go 
next with that injury. And that's kind of how the idea was born, and I, I just ran with it from there. Really cool. So can you just explain? I downloaded the app, but I just wanted you to explain you know, how the athlete can kind of uh, interact with, with the app. Yeah, so it's it's real simple from an athlete standpoint. You you download the app uh, right now. It's only in the App Store, iOS. Uh, we're we're gonna be coming with Android real soon, and it will ask you what's your injury question. Uh, there's three fields you gotta fill out, uh, and you know, one of them is like you know how long have you been dealing with this, uh, and the other one is what at what point does this injury hurt the most? So you answer those three things, and you press send, and it goes into a feed, and when the therapist end of the app when they come on all they see is a bunch of injury questions and they go through and answer the ones that uh they know that they can help or they have the answer to or they think they can help with and that's how it goes and they give you direction whether it is like that you need to actually go like for example we had one uh basketball player come on who had a who had clearly had a concussion it was like a easy case of a concussion and multiple people came on and were like hey you you better go to the hospital and get that help that you need and uh uh, some sometimes it's simple like that other people it's you know you have shin splints and there's just things you can do at home to help with that uh it's managing your training load things like that um they're much more simple answers and then there's like knee injuries that it's kind of a, a wide range of things so the more the more information that you put in the easier it is to answer your question most of the time like if you just come in and you just say hey i have a knee injury it's it's pretty difficult to answer those questions sometimes you you need a little bit more uh, information to go off of but the whole idea is to give you some direction of where you can go next um and give you that answer pretty quickly cool and there's like subject experts that kind of help you know point you in the right direction including yourself uh so do you use like any of your instagram videos as kind of like help for some of these people like do you refer back to those or oh yeah no that's mo- that's mostly what i use actually like i i I'll, I if you look at my phone i have just like tons of video files of just video after video after video i I filmed a whole bunch of stuff that athletes can do and different rehab things and uh things that i know have worked not just for myself but athlete after athlete i've given them to and they've worked well and what's sweet about it is is that most athletes that are on there in the community uh providing support to other athletes whether it is just you know keeping someone's head up or uh it's a therapist on there people stick to answering questions that they know they're confident and that they can't answer uh there's not people on there just answering stuff just to just throw out an answer and just to say something people want to make sure that they're giving um information that's really going to help you get what you need to to be healthy um but yes i definitely still use those 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 videos kev cool yeah i mean it's a great little library that you've kind of accumulated and you know, everyone should. I'll, I'll link up all your social accounts in the in the show notes. Um, but just as we wrap up the interview, this is something that I'm big on uh, today. Is what's your definition of toughness, and maybe how has that changed, you know, over time for you? Yeah. So for me as an athlete, I'm I'm no different than probably any other athlete out there. When I first started in sports, my my definition of toughness was being able to push through pain all the time and never showing weakness, never showing uh, that you're tired, uh, all those type of things. And as I as I got older as an athlete, I realized that true toughness is being able to show up and work hard at practice consistently day in and day out. And in order to do that, you have to be healthy. 
See, it's not like, cause to me, you're not tough if you can work hard for a month and then you have to sit on a month because you're hurt and then you come back and you just keep going on a pattern like that. Uh, toughness is realizing that you need help from other people and you're willing to go in and, and get that help. And that's part of why we, we made co is it's, it's non-judgmental from the standpoint of the people who you ask when you ask your question, there's no, it's not your coaches answering your question. It's not your athletic trainer at your school or anyone at your school who you feel like can affect your playing time or that you got to see every day. It's a community of people who just want to help and get you back to uh, where you want to be. Um, and I think that's that's true toughness, is knowing that, you know what, I, I want to be out there every day giving my all, but in order to do that, I got to be honest with myself and I got to admit that uh, injury is a part of as a part of it and I'm going to need to get help. Yeah, I love that definition. I got one similar to that a, a while ago, and he said, "Toughness is time." Like, if if you're, you know, if you're not in it for the long haul, like, who the hell cares, you know? So, yep. but exactly, you got to stay healthy to do that. Um, so, just last question, you know, where can people find, or where can people connect with you and uh, Co online? Yeah, so if you want to download Co specifically, uh, Co is spelled K H O. Just go to the App Store and type in. Uh, KHO injury answers or you can just type in KHO and it, and it will it will come up uh, if you want to connect with me on Twitter my Twitter name is Ian Warner 310 and my Instagram is the same Ian Warner 310 if you want to connect with collabs uh, it's KHO underscore LABS and that's Snapchat Twitter Instagram Facebook you can find us on any of those and um, yeah I'd love to you know, if you reach out to me personally on social media, uh, I, would, I would love to connect with you and uh, help you out in any way that I possibly can. Well, Ian, thanks so much for making such a great resource for the listeners and you know, learning from your injuries and using them as tools to really build something awesome for athletes to hopefully prevent a lot of the suffering that we both went through uh, as athletes. So thanks again for coming on the show. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that I, I had this opportunity and I, I appreciate just the questions that you asked. They're obviously thoughtful and so well prepared. I appreciate that. Thanks, Ian.